Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General state's pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Giant Size Hero Number 2. That's right, this issue would be the one that you cannot find at the store because everyone bought an issue 1, they failed to stock an issue 2, and then you will hunt it down for years. Look, this is Giant our Size defense, Hero. It usually means that you had to lock the orders down ahead of time. Oh, sorry. I'm not wrong. Historically, this is the issue to buy. So it welcome is. to Giant Size Number 2, the one that every grandma didn't pick up because they thought a number 1 would be worth something in 20 years. Now, everybody, this is a fun format for me because I am not used to being in sitting in a room with headphones. Amy and I have already done their smooth, cool jazz voices, and we are ready to kick off the news. This is for the week of May 16th, and I am very excited to say that as of press time, Disney owns Hulu, and that just broke, so that's very intense. Like, more than they did before. I guess they were like, we've got most of it. Well, how about all of it? Can we just buy your shares, and you can kind of own them? The whole thing. uh, All your Hulu are belong to us, uh, for the old internet people in the audience. (laughs) That was in an OG meme, for those in the (laughs) audience that know what OG memes are. Uh, I have to say, I think this is going to be their R-rated distribution platform. I think Disney Plus is going to be where their more Disney-branded shows will live, but I think a lot of their more adult content is going to land on Hulu. I'm really curious about it because at a certain point, uh, Disney Plus as their family-friendly service makes sense. Uh, the idea – like Hulu ended up at a, a landing ground for a lot of projects from a lot of different places uh, and it you know, was an idea who – that didn't what seemed like a maybe this will work at the time and then did work because enough networks were flowing their stuff in there now and now it's just a separate arm and i'm curious whether disney's going to want uh ultimately like do they need to lean in and make it only like the adult content because the question is which kinds of shows do you greenlight to go on hulu alongside that that you don't want adding value to your disney plus service mm-hmm. how do you decide what is the purpose of having those two different channels and is one an add-on to the other does see- it I feel like the purpose is so the branding isn't an issue. Like Miramax was owned by Disney, but you never had to worry about Tarantino being a Disney-branded situation. You never had to worry about Kevin Smith's amount of bleeps. I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. Uh, You never have to worry about the amount of beeps. Uh, So I feel like Hulu is going to represent kind of what those subsidiaries did in the past. I feel like a Deadpool show could exist on Hulu, and I kind of wish the Donald Glover thing had happened later. Well, it has made sense to us uh, so far because we've been like, right, okay, they're putting the supernatural horror on Hulu. They're putting the adult animation on Hulu. Uh, That does make sense if you're dividing up your Marvel stuff. But if you are the company overall, lots of other shows are on Hulu. Mm -hmm. And if it's like 
a cool family sitcom, are you going to put it on Hulu? Are you going to put it on ABC Family? Or yeah. are you going to put it on Disney Plus? And how are you deciding that? And how are you allocating your resources? I these are, I guess, the questions they get to ask now that they own everything in the world. But. I feel like I feel like Freeform ABC Family is like that fifteen to nineteen. So I feel like things are going to con- transition from Disney Plus to Freeform to Hulu. I feel like it's going to be those <laughs> age brackets. Like as the kids grow up, these change. And for the listeners, up until Chris Evans is actually the age of old age cap. I am going to be upset about the Deadpool Donald Glover show. So prepare to hear about that, especially with this long-form podcast. Uh, Now, that was uh, just breaking today, but our actual schedule program today, we're going to start out with talking about Tom Holland being down to play Spider-Man as long as I am down to be upset about Donald Glover's Deadpool show. That's right, it's back. Forever. Uh, 20 movies, he mentioned casually. He's like, yeah, I'll play for 20 movies. To me, this is the best possible case scenario because I want that Harry Potter flavor. I want want to grow up with Tom Holland. He is Spider-Man. If you've not seen that clip of the the behind-the-scenes, where he does his Spider-Man hop into frame and then runs over and hugs Tony Stark on that uh, endgame scene. Have you seen this footage? I, I saw I, I haven't had a chance to sit down with it yet. I saw it flit by and I was like, wait, what is that? I need to make time for that. Uh, it's beautiful and with him in a mocap suit and with Tony in just a chess piece, it breaks your heart. Oh. That's how good these titans of acting are. So I want Tom Holland to age into the Straczynski run. I want Tom Holland to be a college <laughs> professor. I want this for time. So this made me really happy that he was down. Uh, obviously, this is a role of a lifetime for him. He's a giant Spider-Man fan and he's coming into this before he's had other careers. Like, Chris Evans had played seven superheroes by the time he was Cap. I'm, I think Tom Holland is Spider-Man. We might actually get a, a long run with him. I think that would be amazing. Uh, I want I want for all actors, like, I reserve I want to reserve for him the right to change his mind if he's, like, seven movies in and he's like, I would really like to tackle a different challenge. Like, it's his life and he only, as far as we know, gets one of those. Uh, so, I, in that sense, I'm like, I am really glad that right now he would like to do this forever. That speaks to it being a positive experience. That speaks to how good a fit this is. I, I'm delighted utterly to do that. But I also would be like, but you don't have to sign anything for 20. You are young. You have time. Please do make sp- 20 Spider-Man movies. That will thrill me. But if you ever find that you're not feeling like this, walk away. Ready for a crazy statistic I just thought of? Yeah. He is past the halfway point of Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. That is what? He's already played five. Hugh Jackman played nine. With Far From Home, he is halfway, past halfway Hugh Jackman's run. Quite, I He's going to be in seven in two movies. I When you just said seven, I was like, yeah, but that's like the next, oh, God. Meanwhile, I just hurt my own head because if he ever does decide to hang it up, uh, we get a graphic of him putting the suit in a trash can and walking oh, that, away to an mandatory. alley. that's mandatory. Yeah, yeah, that's got to happen. How that how Andrew Spider-Man Garfield didn't no do that, I'm, I mean, come on. Come on, Andrew <laughs> Garfield. It was right. He could have put his Comic-Con suit in the trash. <laughs> Probably would have been lawsuits, though. Uh, yeah, I feel like the, the Tom Holland already being at five is crazy because this does stand for the end of the Sony Marvel situation. Situation, which I think is also really interesting. Uh, whether or not those contracts get renegotiated, we've talked about before. Right. He had signed for five, and Far From Home is five, to my knowledge. Like, five was the number. So we'll see where that goes. But leaning into the world... The, oh, and also, Collider.com has a series of interviews and set visits about the Far From Home set. Uh, they're spoiler light. I definitely got a couple more bits of information that I didn't know. And if you want to avoid all spoilers, I would check out the light and fluffy surface ones. But uh, check out Collider.com for some. That's where this quote came from. Uh, Also in the world of the MCU, we have our first openly gay superhero coming to the MCU proper. I I don't know who it could be. But we already know. Well, I mean Quicksilvers, but not openly. We've had our first openly gay character, but not superhero. Wait, what? Is Quicksilver? Quicksilver's gay in the comics. Is Quicksilver gay in the comics? To my knowledge, hold on. I've always thought of him as a gay character. Maybe that's headcanon, but hold on. I think so. Are you uh, mushing him up with uh, uh, with Northstar? Because they look a oh, lot like. Oh, and they're both X-Men. They're both mutants. 
North Star's uh, actually openly homosexual. I always thought that that. Uh, Oh, maybe I Podcast am. listeners, please enjoy. This is a legit <laughs> comic book moment. An actual moment. When we uh, get, because, like, oh, I have to say, like, I, uh, this is my official Collider Heroes Mia Culpa for, I think, misleading both Roka and Koi when we did our Endgame review, and I got really excited, and sometime several years ago, I had a wire crossed in my brain and decided that Smart Hulk is Mr. Fix-It, and of course, Mr. Fix-It is Gangster Hulk, who is a bad guy. Which but led it's what me I to call him Mr. Fix-It yep, for the whole episode. I infected everybody <laughs> with my several years old uh, wire crossing. Thank you to those who have pointed out that of course we mean Professor Hulk uh, I can't I'm very sorry obviously our Hulk did not roll up in like a 20s gangster suit it's a totally different thing <laughs> and that's what happens sometimes very sorry uh, so he has been mistaken for gay obviously his relationship with his sister is another conversation uh, that that relationship in the ultimate universe with Scarlet we Witch we don't talk and, about it which we don't talk about but uh, as far as I know it is you're correct North Star who is another character very similar they look also, a lot alike also a mutant in fairness uh, I can't wait for friggin North Star now so this this as a as a news item uh, this obviously excites me I get there's a lot of reactions you can have to this and they're all pretty legitimate uh one is, you know, do it, don't announce it. Now, on the other hand, I, I get why people are sort of like, oh, stop teasing us and just do the thing. And that's a pretty valid, like, you could have done this 10 years ago kind of reaction. But on the other hand, it's not as if they scheduled a press conference to announce this. <laughs> they were on a podcast. They got asked about the cameo in the movie. And they were like, yeah, we, we're already going to see. And then they were like, oh, I don't wait. Do we know that? Uh, so my guess, my guess based on what I know and us talking about all this stuff uh, is that because we know they almost included footage confirming that Valkyrie is by mm-hmm. in Thor Ragnarok, uh, she is sitting around there being an unconfirmed queer character in the MCU, uh, and I would imagine they are planning to make good on that later. If there are other characters that they're also planning to uh, reveal unexpected sexualities from, uh, I think that's awesome. I think that's a thing we get to do. I think it's 2019. I think people are complicated. Uh, and... You will simultaneously have people being mad that they did it and mad that they didn't do it sooner. And uh, I I understand some of those feelings. It needs to happen at some point. So I think that that is the move, uh, making it uh, an actual part of the conversation instead of the Valkyrie situation, which I am still bummed about because it made that moment less big. Uh, but I, And also I, I love the way they're playing with Colossus and Deadpool, but that's not MCU yet. Mm. There's some characters that are – I think they could introduce a character that's introduced as openly gay and have that be a, a, a conversation. I, I don't know if, if Valkyrie being that one is is undermining it only because of how much we know. I'd like to have a character like – I don't want that to be the character they make an important part of it and have it be like, well, you could have done that two movies ago. So I, I, I'm tricky on that personally. Uh, I think it needs to happen no matter what. I just don't know if I have too much headcanon because I know what Valkyrie was supposed to be. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes. I obvi- But like – Basic bottom line, good, excellent, <laughs> more gay characters. Please do that thing. Good. Uh, an increase from our uh, very low numbers to some more reasonable, realistic numbers would be great. Yeah, look, yeah. At, look at the culture. Reflect Bring the culture. It on. Marvel's it's 2019. And the comics have reflected it for quite some time. And North Star had the first gay uh, marriage cover. Was why he, he sure stuck in my did. head. That's what stuck in my head. Yeah, that cover's amazing. X-Men. And that, that spread of all the people at the wedding, beautiful. Uh, have you heard my heartbreak story with that issue? No. It was uh, There was a little boy who was a, a big Marvel head uh, who was coming to the shop when that issue came out. This was many years ago now. Uh, and 
I the day that issue came out, there was some excitement about it, and uh, this kid came in, and I knew he read everything. Uh, and he was, I was like, oh, you know, you're picking up the. Did you hear whatever? Have you seen? Are you excited for this? Uh, because it was right on the cover, and uh, he sort of he was like, oh, I don't know. And my heart broke a little bit because I was just like, oh, I love this kid, and you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he explained that he's like, I feel like they're rushing into it. He was concerned for the characters. That's beautiful. And I was just like, okay, the future is in good hands. Uh, Uh, For those in the know, uh, it is Astonishing X-Men number 51, and that is a few arcs into the story, but it is actually a decent jumping on point. Like, the the characters are pretty well established, but you can jump on there, and it's issue 51. It starts a new new run after that. Uh, Back in the world of news, speaking of the MCU, the original title for Endgame was not Endgame. It was actually a spoiler light title. Infinity Gauntlet, which would have blown every comics fan's mind because going from Infinity War to Infinity Gauntlet would have paralleled the Infinity Saga a lot more. Backwards, but yes. But, uh, sure, but canon. Yeah. Uh, it would have been like in that universe, and that would have confused us. I guarantee I would have thought time travel <laughs> earlier, and I also would have thought, like, wait, is this a prequel? Like, it would have led to headcanon that wasn't true. Uh, but it is spoiler light because they are trying to build a new Infinity Gauntlet with Iron Man. So I see why the very, very spoiler avoiding Russo's change the title, what do you think about Gauntlet as the official title? I think it would have been cool. It would... I I, I feel like Endgame is a better title. It better reflects what the movie ended up doing, uh, which is being a cap-off to the MCU overall. Um, and you would end up having to sort of lean on, like, it is about building the glove, but the building of the glove is not really an important part of Endgame because sure. Tony's like, did that. Right, right. You know? And, and I'm not mad that he just did that because he's Tony Stark. He can do that. But uh, it's more about – it's honestly more like Thanos' quest. It's a quest to get the stones right. than it is like Infinity Gauntlet. So uh, much as I, I love it and I love its importance, I feel like that last movie was so clearly also Infinity Gauntlet that, like, I think Endgame was a good title. But I love that they were going this way. Yeah, I love that the original idea was super sweaty. And then they went, like, a movie title because it is a very end. It's a conclusion. And it needed that. Uh, speaking of Endgame, it is coming straight to Disney Plus, surprise, surprise, on December 11th. The first time you'll be able to stream it is on the app owned by the people that own everything but your firstborn. <laughs> that is pending. They might own the firstborn by the time you have it. Uh, that is coming soon. So December 11th, you'll be able to stream Avengers Endgame. This would ordinarily be a bit of side news, but it shows that their Netflix relationship is at a actual conclusion. The movies are going straight to their app, and uh, Jessica Jones, which is not out yet, will be the last of the Marvel Netflix kind of flavor. And then I don't think we'll see any Marvel movies on Netflix uh, starting November when the Disney Plus app drops. I think they'll be pulled, and it'll just be not. They won't exist there anymore. Where, and I feel like we know this, but I've forgotten. Where is Captain Marvel going when it hits uh, streaming? I think it might be the last Netflix one. Because I feel like they might have included that as part of their Disney Plus announcement, but... Oh, is it? I, oh, yeah. Maybe it's when the app actually drops. That, so I, that sounds familiar. I think that solo film and then Evan Game will be the the official launching of the. You're gonna need Disney Plus to stream it for a mere era. seven dollars for the cost of a Subway sandwich. Because it's not $5 anymore. Uh, and also in the world of the MCU, we have. I was actually looking up the Disney Plus thing. It does look like it will be on the Disney Plus app. So it looks like Captain Marvel will be there as well. So as of November, I imagine we'll see everything wiped from Netflix. And then starting in November, we'll have Captain Marvel Lady there, December 11th, Endgame. Yeah. Uh, the Endgame Oscar world has already started ramping up. I think that... Well, one, we're having a freer consideration here at Collider talking about Endgame exclusively, which intrigues me. But I think this could actually be the first MCU film to be taking the larger awards. I think that Black Panther was nominated for Best Picture. I don't Mm -hmm. know if this will win Best Picture, but I could see it getting Best Director, Best Actor, some of the other things. I don't know if we'll ever – 
I don't know if this is going to get Best Picture, but I could see it getting nominated again like Black Panther was. But I could see them... It's interesting because there are two things that work against it here. One is the traditional discounting of genre films, uh, which is, you know, obviously less of a factor than it used to be, but still going to be a factor for folks. Uh, And the other is that because this movie is... uh, Some of the things it achieves that make it the most notable are things that have to do with being serialized. Mm -hmm. And the Oscars are a ceremony that traditionally rewards, like, individual standalone film kind of, like, it's sort of, it's it's not the Emmys. There's no best new season of your ongoing thing. You know what I mean? Uh, And... So therefore, you have to you have to expand your your idea of like film achievement to encompass something. But on the other hand, is it an outstanding achievement in film? I think, without argument, we can say like that this is relatively unique in achievements in film. Uh, it's just it's going to be judged against other things which are sort of contained entirely within two and a half hours and Whereas telling this is 60. perfect complete stories of that type and I don't know how it how it lands on that front. One thing I think will help it for the directing, writing, acting, all those other awards is how blockbuster heavy this year is. Uh, if you look at this year, pretty much every week is a large tentpole film. If not every week, every three. It's a very big year, and even the indies are not indie. Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is one of the smaller, like, late summer releases. Like, it's a very stacked year. Uh, you know, Ford, Ferrari might be, you know, a, a Oscar contender. But if you look at the slate, there's not as many Oscar-type films announced as of yet with release dates. So I think that might actually help these temple films get some credibility because there's less of that genre being represented. So I, I'm hopeful. Um, I was going through this with my 20-minute uh, episode speed, so we have a little bit of time, actually, <laughs> to dive into some of the things we just talked about. Is there any of that in the world of the MCU that, that speaks to you before we move on to Fox stuff? Uh, I, I, I'm pretty good on this so far. We're still getting more, uh, Endgame stuff, as I see next on our rundown. Do we want to just dive right into that? I think so, because it's been driving me crazy. Okay. This was, this is in all caps on the rundown. I tapped up this rundown, and this was in all caps, because it's been driving me crazy. There are multiple schools of thought with how the time travel element works. One is the Russo Brothers school of thought, and one is the Writer school of thought. The Russo Brothers see it as an alternate universe that creates a split, and therefore cap, as we know him, our Steve Rogers split in, into another verse. And the writers see it as him living in the universe we've already existed in. Mm. The writers wrote Peggy Carter, and they were involved from First Avenger. They've been there from back in the day, and they say... That Steve Rogers was, in fact, the husband that Peggy Carter had at home. That Peggy Carter's kids are, in fact, from Steve (laughs) Rogers. That Steve Rogers was, in fact, not a homewrecker. The people that think that Cap suddenly decided to not have morals. (laughs) He's Captain America, guys. Okay, and there's there's shades to that as well because someone had to sort of – I had missed a lot of the blowback of people being like, he wouldn't go back and, and do that. Uh, I, I had missed a lot of that, so someone had to kind of explain that people were mad about that. Uh, but the, there is also a counterpoint, which is like, we, why would we assume that he would not go back and like give her a choice? Right. It's he's, not like he kidnapped cat. Peggy Carter. <laughs> like, he didn't be like, you're marrying me. Yeah, it's – it's that that's one of those uh, – the questions of moral responsibility there are tricky, but let's not assume that Cap makes the wrong ones. <laughs> um, uh, it, and it is, it you know, it's it's very sweet. Uh, it, it does create the like, boy, Cap failed to intervene in a lot of world events uh, while he was having that life. But like, that's that's what you get when you give him that happy ending. Uh, and I think I think it's sweet. He also did many things during his regular run. I feel like Cap deserved the break. And I also I loved the. 
how do I phrase this? I loved the dichotomy of the arcs that could only exist with 22 movies in Iron Man having to be selfless instead of selfish and that Cap having to be selfish instead of selfless. Personally, I like the idea that Cap decided to put down the shield and be a little selfish. I think after a certain amount of tours, you earn that. I think after doing your duty for so long, there has to be a point for every warrior to say no more. There has to be a point for every soldier to be able to retire. You can't fight every war. So to me, Tell having to him— Wolverine. I, but that's that's look how unhappy Wolverine is. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of the thing. Is like that's a great example. I don't want Cap to turn into Wolverine. I don't want Cap to be so hardened he loses that sense of Cap. Yeah. And I feel like if you have Cap go back and then repeat all of those world events and have to suffer through those wars again, he doesn't get the retirement. So I liked that the Iron Man and Captain America switch happened where selfish. Selfish versus selfish. And then the third of the trifecta, Thor just being overwhelmed by grief and not having any landing. It's kind of the three things that can happen. You you have to change your perspective or be lost. And that's what the three got. So for me, he went back in time and he either landed before Peggy Carter met his new her new guy, which is very logical. He's using time travel, guys. He can go back. <laughs> or that is the Peggy Carter marriage we heard about all those times. We never met the husband for a reason. We never saw the father of those kids for a reason. For Do me, we, that's canon. Has anybody reached out to Tara Butters and Michelle Fazekas, the uh, showrunners of Agent Carter, for their take on, like, whether Who that was yeah was was cap secretly at home during those years does he arrive sometime after the events of the tv seasons take place mm-hmm. which would make a certain amount of sense as well uh you know i i'm very curious if uh i should i should have looked this up before the show but i'm i'm really curious uh, to see uh, their their thoughts on this, although I'm pretty sure nobody objects to, like, I mean, how can you be mad about It's so perfect. Yeah. It's so perfect. Uh, now, in a totally different corner of the MCU, we touched on the 20-movie thing with Spider-Man, but Tom Holland also said that Far From Home is a mix of Homecoming and Spectre. <laughs> now, that is a movie I can't picture, and that makes me very excited to see what it is. Uh, the idea of the John Hughes shucks meets the insane spy quest, which is, I mean, we've got Maria Hill and Nick Fury teaming up with Mysterio. This movie's scope is going to be different, and that's how sequels go. What do you think about that tonality for a Spider-Man film? I'm curious uh, whether it means... I, I. It sounds as if it could just be sort of describing, like, look, it's a it's a big international tour with a lot of set pieces. That's mm-hmm. for, for audiences like us, that's almost always going to make us start thinking about Bond, because those are movies that we, you know, we're we're not talking about... Old school Road to Zanzibar, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby <laughs> pictures. When we think about somebody going and having globe trotting adventures, we think of Bond. Yeah. Um, and granted, Peter Parker would do this very differently from Bond, but that's probably part of the fun right. of sort of being like, all right, you're thrust into a, a cool international environment. How do you handle yourself? What decisions do you make? And what cool scenery do we see behind you as the explosions happen? <laughs> like uh, some element of that, which we also referenced when, when Black Panther came out, that it had a little bit of that feel when yeah. they did their. Uh, Korean sequence. Uh, it's so yeah. I'm curious whether the comparison in, involves conspiracy and how much spy stuff and who can you trust, uh, because that tone might be like. I, I hope it really is the mashup feeling and not full on paranoid Spider Man. I don't want Iron Man Spider Man. You know how I felt about the dance slot stuff. So if they go International Man of Mystery, where they made Spider Man Iron Man, we've already had that. And that was already mentioned in the trailer. I feel like in the trailer it was mentioned as pulling at your heartstrings and them being missing a hero. I don't think they're literally going to make Spider Man the new Iron Man. I don't think they're literally going to have him lead the Avengers. Which they're John- going to make Spider Man Quantum of Solace and he's just going to be mourning the whole time? <laughs> yeah, he's I, walking away. Not, that's, that's not the not move. It. But like, I mean, John Roca is one of the people that really thinks that Spider-Man's going to lead the Avengers. 
Like, he's got a very, like, he's determined that's what's going to happen. I personally don't think that's Spider-Man. I've always seen Spider-Man as a reluctant Avenger that's trying to eat. Like, Spider-Man's always the guy, like, oh, you'll pay me? Okay, I'm an Avenger. I don't see him as the, the but, Iron Man But, of Man course, figure. there's that now classic beat of you can't pay him because he can't cash that check and he won't tell you his identity. Because he can't reveal his identity. Read Thank comics, you, guys. Comics. To change your life. Read, read comics. If you don't, if you're, I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably do. But if you don't, Bendis' new Avengers run is chef's kiss. <laughs> I made a chef's kiss. I'm not on air. You can't see me. But chef's kiss happened. Yeah, just say chef's kiss. <laughs> From uh, Sony to Fox, we have a new Dark Phoenix poster, which is the first time I feel like Storm has been captured on a poster, right? It's not just her face. She's not off in a corner. She's got Storm powers. And yes, she's smaller than she should be, but she's at least a splash of color. I love the lightning bolt cutting through the red. I love that the color is drawing you towards Storm. Like, it, it's your eyes gravitate there. Uh, I am very excited for a Storm solo movie when it comes, and this poster at least gave me a taste. Uh, I like this new poster a lot. What do you think? I like it. I like that they let it look somewhat illustrated. Um, you know, I love my MCU, but I do, like, we're all collectively a little tired of floating head posters, even though we know they work and are successful, and that's the reason we keep getting them. Uh, so yeah, they've got some bodies. Yeah. And this one, like, the poster came out, and this week, Fox did a whole thing for, they declared an X-Men day. Yeah, we talked about X-Men day. Yeah, 20 years since they started filming X-Men. Is that, if I got that right, that's what they're celebrating? I think it came out in May. I think, I think... But not 20 years ago, because that would be 1999. Oh, right. And it came out in 2001. So it would have been filming. Yeah, that sounds right. I think that – so in conjunction with that, they put up uh, – like they they actually did uh, an interview with Chris Claremont and Louise Simonson, which made me happy because I'm always happy when people go to Claremont for anything. And <laughs> also because like nobody goes to Louise Simonson, who was the editor of the X-Books for many years, uh, to to ask these things. And I, I, I would have loved like – a 45-minute in-depth sit-down with them. But I love that they were doing that, that they they did a little clip retrospective. Um, a ton. Please uh, check that X-Men Day hashtag uh, because so many wonderful artists were like, oh, it's X-Men Day. Here's my cool piece. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, so it ended up being feeling like a sort of jam celebration day. Uh, whatever else happens with these characters, with these franchises – I, I, it's always going to be in my heart and so many of our hearts. Uh, so yeah, I, I so X Men came out in two thousand. Okay. So I don't know where they're getting twenty years from because I don't think they could film that and CGI it up in a year. I'm well, not like I'm not seeing the math. Then you talk while I look up what they said okay. because so I'm that, just going off my memory right I'm now. I'm just very uh, how. Uh, so for me, X Men was the first team that was really impressively on cinema. Like uh, we had Spider Man come out around the same time. We had obviously had Blade, but Blade was like that little secret thing that people knew was a comic movie. Like every comic fan was like, "You're watching a comic movie. You think it's a vampire movie?" And we were all very excited to be sneaky about it. Well, but, and yes, we'd had Batman and we'd had Superman, but. Uh, they had reasons that people regarded them as flukes up until this time. Right, and they had had like one or two installments and then the franchise has changed. And also X-Men is a very different tone than even Batman and Superman. So I, I feel like X-Men was a great beginning to the team world and making that possible. Uh, Blade, I give credit for starting the MCU. X-Men, I give credit for a lot of people getting the mainstream feel of what comics can translate to on screen. Mm -hmm. uh, and X-Men also affected the comics in a very unique way in that Spider-Man the movie obviously feels like Spider-Man, but you didn't see the, the Spider-Man character looking like Tobey Maguire. You did start to see for a while black leather on all the X-Men. You did start to see the X-Men movies shaping the comics for a bit. So I thought that was really interesting. Those movies did so well, they reflected their original source material differently. Mm. Um, and for me, the X-Men is kind of that wave that started all this. Like, we've been riding the same wave from Blade and the X-Men era. So... 
the 20 years is really powerful and X-Men Day made me really happy uh, I, I definitely listened to the theme song from the X-Men animated series all day uh, it was in my car it was on my phone I was a very happy boy I cannot find this information <laughs> okay we both tried to look and I definitely rambled as long as I could uh, yeah I agree I don't know what was 20 years ago and every website is just like celebrating 20 years since and I'm like well one math is 19 and the other math they couldn't have filmed it in 6 months what was 20 years ago Let's not dwell on it because we could have looked it up. Sorry, y'all. Sorry. Sorry we won't ever know. <laughs> uh, and then over in the world of DC, we have I just just some awesome theorizing. Joe Russo wants to direct a Batman movie. When asked what other superhero property he'd want to handle, he said Batman. And ever since, I've been daydreaming about what that would look like, how well he <laughs> handles teams. Uh, I'm picturing like an Arkham Asylum escape movie because he handles giant, giant, um, you know, splash pages well. Imagine like the Civil War airport scene, but with criminals. Mm. Uh, I'm picturing, you know, a detective movie a la Winter Soldier. Uh, Winter Soldier is espionage, but they made the framing so dark that I can totally see that kind of darkness translated to Batman beautifully. So Joe Russo doing Batman is is down, now a dream of mine. I mean, it would like I I will watch whatever they're doing next. Uh, I would love to see them because of the heart that those films have. I would love to see them take on like uh, an unknown character, but they've also earned the right to like go play with Batman if they want to. I mean, yeah. we're gonna we're hopefully at the beginning of a wonderful run. We've got Matt Reeves' Matt Batman Reeves is on theory on its way. Uh, so we there might not be a current need for that, but like I I'll never mind hearing people be like I'd like to play with those toys because it's like cool you're like us yeah you like pl- please play with those toys we would like to see any of that and I'm really I'm also really curious what the Russos do next because after Dark Knight you know Chris Nolan did a Batman movie then another movie then a Batman movie he definitely played in other things so we got to build up that Chris Nolan universe. We haven't seen the Russos do something else since they started in the MCU, and they came from a lot of a, a TV background. Mm. I'm really curious what movie or TV they decided to do next. I'm really curious where they go because, I mean, we have them producing uh, Deadly Class, but we haven't really had them dabbling in anything but comic properties in like 10 years. So I'm, I'm curious where they land because I'll see anything Russo Brothers. Now. They've, <laughs> they've earned that by a lot. Yeah. Uh, now, in the world of comic books themselves, the yes. actual floppies, uh, it is Marvel Comics' 80th anniversary. 80 years of Marvel, and they are celebrating by having a Marvel Comics 1000. If that math doesn't add up, you're right. That math doesn't add up. There's no math. (laughs) I do like that Deadpool did this several years ago. They just declared themselves uh, an issue 1000, and now Marvel itself is like, yeah, uh, let's do that. We like when we make up numbers. (laughs) Every time we redo number one, we made it up. Why not keep making it up? I love them very much, but I do have to throw some gentle shade because this is obviously not unrelated to the wildly best-selling back-to-back action and detective of thousands. Uh, uh, and Man of Steel, uh, action comics and detective happening for real. And then Marvel being like, that looks nice. <laughs> I want but that number. the way that they've chosen to celebrate their arbitrary uh, uh, anniversary numbering is pretty rad. And dense. Uh, it is 80 comic creative teams, 80 legends doing 80 pages. So it is an 80-page comic book that is painstakingly flipping through each year of the Marvel comic lore <laughs> with a different creative team. The teams are all insane. We had been hearing teases of who these creatives were. A lot of them have been tweeting out just like an image of this background of comics with their names on it of who the teams were. We didn't know what it was. Now we know. 80 teams, 80 years, 80 pages. Marvel Comics 1000 sounds incredible. Uh, also, I love that you mentioned the Deadpool thing because do you know what they did right after that? 999, uh, right? It was a team-up book. 
So it was Deadpool 1000 and then Deadpool team up started at 999 and counted down. Yes. So yes, inexplicably yes, yes. it was Deadpool 999, 998, 997. So I have those and there's like this weird gap of like 580 issues yep. where it's like my Deadpool goes up to 300 and down to whatever. And it's it was like, hilarious because I, I was pulling those at the time and I was like, it's a good thing these are Deadpool fans. They will roll with this. Yeah, whatever chaos you want to give us, we will take. Thank you very much. Uh, but Marvel Comics 1000 sounds like a really great way to celebrate 80 years. Uh, I would have called it Marvel Comics 80, but you know, it's just math. Uh, but it's, it's exciting. 1000 is exciting. It, it's going to be cool. The The issue seems like it's going to be neat. The idea of like a one-page story is an interesting challenge. They've gotten some incredible heavy hitters to come in for this. Uh, they've gotten some really cool, unexpected folks to come in, uh, uh, various celebrities from out in the world uh, who are closet comic book fans or just like, you know, open comic book fans. <laughs> I, I lost that metaphor. But uh, – they they have a bunch of really cool folks, and now Corey and I had talked off screen a little bit about the fact that, uh, you know, the announced lineup does not reflect a huge commitment to uh, hiring diversely, and I don't know whether they just didn't think that through or whether it wasn't a priority, but it's a little disappointing. Um, it granted, though, it is one it is one issue with uh, an anthology, and I will always root for them to do well on this front because there are many, 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 many talented and qualified people that they could have reached out to on that. But I don't hold it against anyone who is there. I did see a lot of folks, like the folks who are in the anthology, it's not their fault. And I will read the heck out of it. Also, I don't, I can't confirm this, but there's been a rumor for a long time, and George Perez, though retired, said he was doing one last page for Marvel. So I feel like George Perez is going to do his last page for Marvel Comics. And was he on the list? I feel yeah, like I, I, he was on the was list. Was he on the list? Okay. It's, it's a huge list. I, I need to check uh, the – Because he teased one more page and then this came out and was like a page of – I'm like, oh, and I'd love to see George Perez handle another – like I just – I love that man's art so much. Yeah, there's there's like over 100 people on this list and like six of them are women. Uh, oh, wow. it's it's a, It's about there, unfortunately. But uh, that is just one element of it. And, hey, uh, folks who hate me commenting on that – Sorry, but that will continue until numbers improve. Here's a female artist tangent. Uh, is Fiona Staples on that list? Because I'm reading Saga for the first time. Can we talk about <laughs> Saga? Because I am so excited. Uh, this by... wasn't in the doc, so I've had to find a place to put it in. Yeah, sorry, y'all. Of course reading Saga, and it's the best. I'm on issue 12, and I had heard for years, as you know, I'm a giant Brian K. Vaughn fan, and I'm also someone that reads every single release that comes out from Marvel, and 70% of everything comes out from DC. So I'm reading so many books. You don't have to make excuses for not having read stuff. There's stuff all of us haven't read yet, and we get to be excited when we discover it. But that's the beauty of, of doing this show, is now I have an excuse through this and through comic book shopping to read all the stuff that I didn't make time for. I'm making time. So I, I sleep about six hours a night, and I decided to cut one of those. So I'm sleeping five and putting an hour of comic reading into my morning. like to officially object. Uh... <laughs> so I've decided to modify my alarm system. I'm putting an hour of comics in every single day. And that hour right now, I just finished uh, Scarlet from Bendis and Malave. Uh, and then I read uh, 100 Bullets, 1 through 12. And then I'm, I'm doing this uh, in its entirety. And then I'm going to read the rest of 100 Bullets. So I'm like trying to mix up like noirs and like all the indie books. I'm trying to go through uh, images changed since the 90s. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to read Wicked and Divine at some point. I want to read uh, Andraco's Torso. Like there's a lot of the books that I missed in this run. But I've heard so much about Saga for so long. This had to be one of the first. Uh, Saga is better than I imagined. I heard it was a life-changing book. And that was underplaying it. This Aww. is 
as a lifelong comic book fan, I didn't know there was another genre within this genre. It's blowing my mind. Its creativity is is larger than I can fathom. Uh, it it has a like every page is an emotional event, and then you turn the page and it's a new emotional event, and you read this whole comic in ten minutes, but it's the biggest roller coaster of ten minutes, and then you want more. Like I'm on issue twelve, and that happened in two days because I can't stop. I had set aside <laughs> one through six. I was gonna slow down and read one through six per week, and I can't. I'm just. I, it's Tuesday. I've read six a day. Uh, like I'm trying to make time for other things but i can't uh it's too brilliant important. it's too good it's too important uh when when the lion cat was jettisoned from the from the plant from the spaceship i br- br- had the next issue i'm not gonna stop it's not gonna happen you can't it's yeah it's... i've been late to three things because of saga <laughs> in two days in two days i've been late to three things this book's ruining and helping my life i really uh, saga ruins koi's life part one it's just uh... happening if you don't see me at heroes next week it's because i'm home reading saga <laughs> is sick. I'm making air quotes. Koi uh, is going to be calling in sick air quotes to so everything <laughs> until, yep. Sorry Movie Talk, Collider Heroes, all my new shows is not <laughs> happening. Uh, but it's uh, it's really interesting that I don't feel like I missed out because I'm getting to read it as this one amazing journey and I don't feel like people have ruined it for me. I don't feel like they could have overhyped it. It's not one of those things where the trailers make it look better than it is. It's brilliant. So this is from a sweaty that's been reading for the last 26 years. It is amongst the best thing I've ever read, and it is impressing me, and, like, it's finding new buttons. It's finding new things I didn't know a comic could do. Mm-hmm. Every character is lovely. Uh, the tone is unlike anything I've ever experienced. It's both grounded and cosmic. Uh, yeah, read Saga. Uh, adult content, though. <laughs> oh, Just, yeah. No, there's some stuff. There's, uh, <laughs> you yeah. will immediately be able to tell uh, that this one is for the grown-ups. If you're under 17, ask your parents. <laughs> And and have them uh, peruse, and if your parents are cool, read it no matter what. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but yeah, it's amazing. It is it is a transcendent experience. I'm loving it so much. Oh man, I could do an hour of just making Koi talk to me about saga. Every uh, week there'll be a saga segment <laughs> until I've got up to fifty four. It's I gonna be out. next week, Koi. There's I, no way you can save this. <laughs> it's just so good. Like I don't know if I'm gonna read this week's books because saga's out, you guys. <laughs> that that joke with the uh, Gail Simone's brilliant uh, asking of of. Fast food places, what comics they're into, and mm-hmm. then the Wendy's joke about Saga being on hiatus. I was like, that's funny. And now I might eat at Wendy's out of respect for Saga. Yeah, you're playing it back in your head like, I, I now I truly understand. Like, I'm going to get a spicy chicken sandwich with vanilla frosty, dip my fries in it. It's going to happen. I'm going to read Saga <laughs> and have a Wendy's experience. And you're going to go back and have a whole new appreciation for all of the jokes that we have made about Saga over the year and all of the, the commentary. Because you can now see all the we, – we frequently talk about uh, – it almost gets oversighted. But uh, that early on in the development of Saga when Brian Vaughn, who was already a comic superstar at this time but keeps inventing, like, new levels to hit, yeah. uh, he – he gave a lot of interviews sort of saying that he had been working a lot in film and TV and that part of his goal with Saga was to break down his own uh, – like he had started to sort of memorize the like make it simpler to shoot, make it easier, scale it down, which yeah. is a skill you desperately need for TV. Like if you can take a, a script with 14 locations and make it seven locations, suddenly you have enough money to make your show. That's vital production skill in some ways and making sure that it's elegant and contained is something that it's difficult for people to pull off. But essentially – and, and this is more in detail than his answer, so it might just be my interpretation. But he gave a lot of these interviews saying, I set out to do something unadaptable. And it feels the scope is insane. And it, the truth is that I, I, I think they can and should someday attempt to adapt Saga. But I, I love that they made it thinking 
let's take all of those rules off the table. Let's take all of the stuff I've internalized working in these other mediums and remind myself this is a comic oh, and I, I can that. have people with TV heads if I want. And I could see this existing in like a uh, Love, Death and Robots or Spider-Verse or that kind of animated, but that's the only way. And it's made the, that much fervor and insanity. And uh, I'm also reading um, on Redneck issue two, Sex ah. Criminals issue three, and Paper <laughs> Girls issue four. Yes. Uh, I'm going hard on the indies because I don't want to just be a mainstream guy and I am in love with so much right now. I'm such a happy like there's more to comics than I've ever realized, boy. Yeah, uh, comics so, are so good. Speaking I'm, of which, want to get into that pull list? Well, let's get into the mainstream. Yes! <laughs> so let's get into our pull list. Uh, this is coming from Tuesday's episode of Collider Heroes, where we showed you these covers on video. Now we're going to break them down. Hopefully, you pick them up either at midnight digitally or in your local comic book shop because <laughs> buying and print is very important to Koi and Amy, especially Koi that thinks you should buy weekly comics because floppies are vital. We uh, love all the things, and we respect whatever form you got to take as long as it is a form like that is not illegally downloaded. As long as it is purchased. <laughs> Please buy things so we can keep them existing. Or go to your library. Or go to yeah. any of the legal systems. We sorry, this is a thing for me where I keep having folks who are like, I love comics very much, and also I'm illegally downloading all of them, and I'm like, you. But how do you think they're gonna keep, keep existing, existing if you? Anyway, separate rant. Buy what you can. Yeah. Support them however you can. If you can buy one comic for four dollars, get the rest of the library. Just just support what you can. <laughs> the legal isn't as big a deal to me. Like do mushrooms live your life, but by all means, support financially however you can. Yeah. Uh, the pull list this week starts with number one. <laughs> Mr. Miracle is – so I wrote down – this is the actual what I wrote down. Mr. Miracle's sexy hardcover trade. This book is designed like an art book. It is a book <laughs> for your coffee table. It is a book for your shelf. It is a book to smack Bill Maher with. It is a book to show your grandparents that comics are art. It we is... are very spicy on the podcast today, y'all. We're out of... <laughs> it's week two, and we're off the rails entirely. <laughs> I mean, Saga's got some stuff in it. Now yeah. my brain's over there. I'm uh, mad about homophobes. <laughs> it's a whole thing. I'm encouraging drug use only recreationally. Uh, now, what I think Mr. Miracle did was showed me, much like Saga, that there's a different tone to comics than I had seen. And Mr. Miracle plays with the new gods in a way that makes you feel like it's a sitcom. But the sitcom's not garbage. Like, it's like the best written sitcom in its tone but it's dark and depraved. It's only sitcom and it's comedy. I'm trying to think of how to, like, it's like a masterfully written sitcom, so no sitcom currently on. Uh, oh, shade uh, on a bunch of sitcoms. There's some great shows what out the, there. What, what's a network TV Don't on? Don't put me on the spot. I'm just pretty <laughs> sure there are good ones. But situational comedy's hard to write, is what it I'm is, saying. It and, it, and it's a situational comedy with new cods. Oh, The Good Place. There we go. Yeah. It is Parks and Rec Good Place level writing in a comedy about the new gods. <laughs> And I didn't think that was a thing. So I recently read Mr. Miracle on my journey through indies. And DC obviously is not an indie in the technical sense. But Mr. Miracle was a book that I kept hearing about. But it, I couldn't have time for it. So this is why you don't sleep. Also, uh, okay. Uh, y'all, we're out of control. But it is technically comic. So I have to use Koi's not sleeping thing as an angle. Uh, Toronto Comic Arts Festival was this weekend. A mm. beautiful uh, – they have a, a, a comic book convention that is a book festival that is held inside a library. I've never been. It looks amazing. That's uh, and They have incredible creators every year. And there was a Junji Ito spotlight. He's the horror manga artist. Notable. Mm-hmm. Does some of the, the best, most creative, incredibly creepy stuff out there. Um, he's known for books like Uzumaki, uh, which is like uh, – anyway uh, – Great, wonderful horror comics, very prolific artist, and there is there, – someone tweeted like he, he did a whole spotlight panel, and part of it was uh, just Junji Ito begging the artists of the world, sleep. Get sleep. <laughs> when will important. I read comics? Uh, Koi, sleep. Sleep. One day. Um, now back to the topic because <laughs> the other thing I was going to divert us to is uh, say Miracle more. Mr. Miracle. 
Mr. Mr. Miracle. Yeah, how do you say it? Miracle. Miracle. What am I saying? Is it a Boston thing? Miracle? Do I say miracle? A little bit. Oh, miracle. Mir, mir, na- I'm not now I'm wrong. thinking of it, so yeah, I don't I'm know how I naturally say it. I'm going to make you it. real self-conscious, but at least somebody listening to this podcast is like, yes, make him say it more. Mr. Miracle <laughs> is a fantastic book wherein I discovered a character I didn't know that well in a way that made him more human. And I read Vision and loved it. Mm. And it's and I know that came post Mr. Myricklick. Uh didn't didn't Vision come? No, Vision was his last Marvel thing before DC was like, you're real good. Come here and write Batman so and I, also do whatever more indies you want. Got it. So I did read those two and then that yes. order. Okay. Cuz you know how much I'm obsessed done, with his so Batman. The Tom King timeline goes uh Sheriff of Babylon uh, everyone's like, who is this guy? Uh, while he's doing other things, like the, this, the put him on the map stuff. People simultaneously kind of freaked out about Sheriff of Babylon and then uh, and Vision was happening. And then like he lands over at uh, DC and starts taking over Batman. And uh, I'm probably getting details wrong, but the Omega Men was the next thing that people were like, who is this guy? Okay. And then he's taking over Batman and he's writing Batman and he comes out with, uh, uh, with Mr. Miracle. And it's like... Sheriff of Babylon, Omega Men, Vision, and Mr. Miracle are this, like, four-part, by the third or fourth time that you're going, who is this guy? That is how you magically emerge as the, like, co-winner of Best Eisner Writer last year with Marjorie Liu uh, and and nominated everywhere because he is clearly not a one-trick pony. And his characters are instantly beloved. I didn't know this character at all, and within five pages, he's one of my favorite characters of all time. Aww. Like, I am, I am in love with this book. Uh, I, I'm 30, and I am not a father, but I think about kids all the time because my, my parents had me in their 16th backstory. So I should have, like, a 14-year-old by now. I should have a kid in high school by my, my family's timeline. So there's a section of this book where childbirth happens, and I openly cried in public. Like, I was experiencing This Is Us. You Miracle and Saga in the space of a week? Where is your head right now? Not sleep. Yeah. No, no, I'm, no but in, like, in oh, the I'm, thematic I'm so resonance there must be crazy. Yeah, I'm having, like, full full emotional, like, breakdown, but in a positive way. Like, yeah. I'm very emotionally fulfilled in a way that it's overflowing. Like, I've been texting people how much I appreciate them and calling people I haven't talked to in five years, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's comics. Uh, I've been, like, outreaching to be like, I appreciate you, stranger from high school I barely talked to. Uh, so I, I'm very full. And what this book did, I was at a coffee shop just crying. And then I tried to explain to the people around me. (laughs) I was the guy like, I know it's weird. Look at this panel. Uh, And it's that good. So with this trade paperback, I love the timing of reading this. I have to pick up this trade paperback. Uh, It is a book that I read digitally and I will be rebuying to own and to gift people and to share. And it's so important. The comedy is great. The action is great. The art is perfect. The storytelling is magnificent. And it really is a book about fatherhood and being a son and being a a man and being a good man and being a leader and being yourself. And I could not speak higher of Mr. Miracle. Okay, we got... I know, there's so much. Uh, speaking of Image Indies, speaking of Eisner noms, uh, we've got Eisner nominated for Best New Series, Bitter Root. Uh, we promised we would get into this uh, when yes. Sabina was on board for this. It, it, this is the series you've heard us plug before. You can finally get it in a nice little book for your bookshelf or request it at your library or previous mentioned rant. Um, <laughs> however you get a hold of it. It is the Harlem Renaissance family of monster fighters uh, with a super rad creative team. Uh, really exciting to have this out in the world. Tell us about Spider-Man Life Story. Spider-Man Life Story is written by Chip Sidarsky, who is 
quickly becoming, becoming one of my favorite writers. Uh, he's writing Daredevil. He's writing this. He wrote And Spider-Man. you're doing sex criminals at the same time. So yeah, getting... his art and his writing. I'm I'm literally reading about 110 comics a week right now, and I'm so happy. Koi, sleep. Uh, but in that 110 comics a week flavor, I'm getting a lot of Chip Zdarsky in different forms. And this book shows how much he knows how to write a character you already know in new ways. There's a twist in issue two of Spider-Man Life Story that could only exist in this exact book. Mm. It is a book that takes place over the course of decades. So issue one takes place in the 60s, two in the 70s, three in the 80s. So this is the 80s. And it's Mark Bagley who has drawn Spider-Man since the early 90s through today. He's responsible for the longest run of uninterrupted with Brian Michael Bennis and Ultimate Spider-Man. He has 155 issues every single month, no fill-in artists. And he drew Spider-Man from all the way back in. He was the first guy to draw Carnage. He's been drawing Spider-Man forever. So what better artist than someone who's actually drawn Spider-Man through the decades to draw Spider-Man aging. So Spider-Man goes from a, 70, a 15 or 16, I don't remember where they said him, age kid in this chronology. He's like 27 in the next book. He's going to be in his 30s and the 80s. And So essentially, Tom Holland, get ready. Because uh, we are proving that you can uh, watch Spider-Man stories throughout someone's entire natural life. Let's and do it. The Black Goblin's in it instead of the Green Goblin. There's twists. There's, read this book. It's really transcendent. I'm going to keep using that word because it's changing me. That's so good. Uh, next on the list, I had to put this on this list because it's so weird and bonkers, and I love that it exists. So uh, when one of the great things that we get out of uh, these big media tie-ins is that it will shine a spotlight on corners of the comic book universe that nobody ever bothered to make available or shine a spotlight on before. Uh, and that can have beautiful results, and it can result in very strange things like a paperback called Captain Marvel Trade Paperback Star Force. Uh, and here is what is collected in this. Uh, if you want to do, like, that team that she runs with in the movie, if you want to know more about them, please enjoy this potpourri of random things from the Marvel Universe. <laughs> You've got Fantastic Four number 65, Ms. Marvel, the 1977 run, number one, uh, Captain Marvel, the run from 1968, that's Marvel number 52, Quasar, number nine, Avengers, number 346, Captain America, the numbering from 1998, number eight, material from Captain America, number 399, and more. <laughs> What's now, more? I love things like this because it's going to, you're getting stories from different decades, from wildly different creative teams. You're just getting a piece here and there throughout the universe. But it is as if. It's as if you went through an old dollar bin and just found a bunch of random things, but they happen to be spotlighting each of these different characters. And it's the way so many of us, these these comic book universes are unique in being these giant shared properties that so many people have come in and out of and left their mark on and changed for the next person. And the way that you start to get a sense of that, to start to get a feeling for what a 60s comic is like and an 80s comic and a 90s comic is like, is by sort of doing these random tours, whether you assemble them yourselves out of a dollar book or whether they have taken this excuse of this movie coming out to gather all of this disparate material and be like, look, here are just some stories. You might dig them. They're all going to be wildly different. Uh, if you get interested in any of these characters, there's going to be more stuff from where that came from. There'll be hopefully ways to access the runs that they came from. But I love that this exists. Yeah, that's amazing. Star Force. Star Force. Trade paperback. Pick it up <laughs> today. 
Uh, and finally, I've ranted a long time about Mr. Miracle and also Spider-Man. So I'm going to be very quick with Daredevil number five. It is written by Chip Sadarsky. Like I said, big fan right now. And he's writing it as a, a very twisty book. There's a cliffhanger at the end of every issue. Uh, he just did this amazing run about Spider-Man, about Daredevil um, getting his fear back. Daredevil knows fear. It was called No Fear uh, with a K. And it's about a revitalized Daredevil. And it's a really different take. It's really fun. And if you're not a Daredevil fan, pick up one through five and see if you like this take on it. All right, honorable mention this week, uh, which I now realize I have really set myself up for. But, okay, y'all, go with me on this. There is a uh, funny, sweet video game that came out uh, a couple years back that is based on the idea of dating simulations. But it's sort of like... It, it's it's kind of a parody, except that it's heartfelt and earnest, really. Uh, and it's about a single dad with a daughter who's in high school uh, looking for love and meeting other sweet dads from the neighborhood. And it was called Dream Daddy, a very self-consciously kind of, we're doing a parody, but we're also doing a sweet, straightforward thing. Uh, and so Oni Comics assembled a bunch of wonderful indie artists and got them all to do short stories set in that universe. So if you are really interested in something off the beaten track, you can pick up the video game tie-in full of indie artists that is about a, a sweet dad looking for love. It's Dream Daddy, the trade paperback, and it's coming out this week. Uh, the issues came out digitally previously, but this is the, the when the collection is hitting shelves. Uh, and uh, the I, I just... I love that this exists. If you're familiar with the game grumps, I think <laughs> the writers of the video game are those folks. So it's, it's a whole like weird internet soup that has given rise to this neat little piece of art uh, that you can go and get on your shelf this week. And you also have uh, merger news. Yes. And speaking of Oni, man, there's a lot we're going to have to skim past this week because we had a lot of fun on this. Uh, Sorry, hour. Saga and uh, Mr. Miracle <laughs> won't be in the same week next week because I will have read probably no, all of them. Well, we'll talk about them again. Don't worry. Uh, we're honestly just going to keep repeating that until you've all tweeted at us, yes, good, we're caught up, we've read both of those things. <laughs> uh, Oni, we got some big comic book news in the indie world this week, uh, which was the merger of two companies. Oni Comics, you might know them as the publisher of of Rick and Morty or of Scott Pilgrim, an indie that goes back to, I think, I want to say, like, 99-ish. Uh, and Lionforge, a, a newer company, just a couple years old, that had been making a really interesting mark out of St. Louis. Uh, now, the details on this are complicated, and I don't know all of it. Uh, we do know that some staff are not going to make it in that merger like so many things happen, but that the two companies sort of said, we think we can do better if we join forces. Uh, so I'm really interested to see where that comes out. I hope that all of the people who don't make that transition find uh, great places elsewhere in the industry. Um, I'm, I'm definitely got – I have my eye because I've had my eye on those companies separately, but I have watched – it sort of seems like we have – Lionforge has struggled because getting people to pay attention to a new publisher is very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, so it, it seems really possible that this will end up with the best of both worlds, but I do know there are some folks working over there that, like, I will be following – like their editorial journeys as they potentially get snapped up uh, by other companies as this goes. So, yeah, I don't know what they're calling the combined company yet. Oni but... Lion. <laughs> I mean, it kind of works. Also, the, yeah, the Lioni. The name Oni is already in Lion. It's right there. Uh, <laughs> it's just backwards. Uh, yeah, so that was a really interesting uh, shakeup on the indie scene. Now, in the world of TV, uh, once again, we'll have to go through these a little quicker because Mr. Miracle, you guys. Speaking uh, of indie confusion and what the future is. So we're going to power through some TV news. First of all, in the world of indies, Dark Horse is, is barely an indie. I feel like Dark Horse and Image are, are powerhouse. I feel like it's Big Four, not Big Two now. Like those two, Dark Horse and Image are making some moves. Image has got all those Eisners. Dark Horse is a lot of TV 
properties now because Dark Horse has signed a first look deal with Netflix. Netflix is continuing its powerhouse acquisition of comic book properties. It's got Millar World. It's got Liefeld's Extreme Comics. Now it has Dark Horse. I am so curious about this because my here's my question. Did Netflix try to buy Dark Horse and did they say no? I feel like Netflix is afraid of Disney Plus and they're looking at comics. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, that Dark Horse thing but we went also that know far. They want to get into the owning things business Mark and it Millar worked out and, with Mark Millar yeah. uh, and uh, Miller. Uh, I keep doing that. Oh, I do it too. It's the A. <laughs> and there's already another Mark Millar. Anyway. Uh, I, I, so yeah, that's just my, I, I'm very curious. I, obviously this means good things for us in getting TV shows and what the future means but it does raise questions like what does an indie mean anymore? How much right. do creators own of things? Uh, I think that it's all good news. Shows like Umbrella Academy prove that they're, they've got great stuff that people are going to be into uh, when they bring it to a wider audience. Can't wait to see where that goes. We could also have done a whole hour on Just TV because HBO releases a <laughs> Watchmen teaser, Legion on Fox gets a season three trailer, and Swamp Thing gets a promo. So we have a lot of deep cut comic-y things. Uh, I love that Legion is back for a final season. I like that they're intentionally doing it, ending it where they wanted to. They've always said three seasons. It's not ending early. It's ending on time. It's not going to overweigh its welcome. There's Professor X in that trailer, so that's very exciting. Watchmen, we've been excited about since we heard about the first teaser. I we, don't know what this show is. We no will be one watching does. it, but what? Yeah, we can't really break down the trailer because we don't ha- – it's, it's a- watch it, but it's a lot. It's just dense and confusing. Although, wow, the joke possibilities are going to be so intense. Who watches The Watchmen? We do. We do. We do, in fact, watch The Watchmen. Mm-hmm. And Swamp Thing, uh, probably my most anticipated thing from the DC TV corner is – I love the practical. I love Swamp Thing, the character. I like how weird they're like leaning into it. They're accepting how weird it is. Uh, <laughs> and in the world of picking up to series, Stumptown is going to series. Speaking of Oni, I, I, it, uh, Kobe Smulders, our own yeah. uh, Maria Hill, is playing Dex Perios, uh, the – in the comics, super bit of a mess private investigator character whom I love very much. Uh, and I will see. I'm really curious to see how they bring that one to the screen. But I like I'm so excited it's happening. We also getting a Katie Keene series <laughs> in the world of Kate Kane and Katie Keene. You'll be watching a lot of TV with some confusingly similar names. Uh, yep. Kate Kane and Katie Keene are both coming to TV. And it's the best thing that's happened since two Captains Marvel in two months. <laughs> uh, one yeah. of them will be in an Archie spinoff. One of them will be in a DC TV world. <laughs> And they will both be badass women. Uh, so the world of TV is about to get crazier. We're going to get some Twitter questions for you guys. First up, we have David at it is David, but spelled with an X instead of an A. He's fantastic on Twitter. If you don't follow him, you should. Great work in the Mega Sized Hero podcast. With the multiverse being introduced in the Far From Home trailer, do you and Amy think Sony will make Miles and Spider Gwen movies and eventually make a live action Spider Verse movie? That is the deepest thing I think they could do. I don't know if visually. Uh, a Spider-Verse movie would translate as much to live action as it beautifully did in the Spider-Verse. I also don't know if they'll want to try to... The movie's an A+. I don't know how you... You don't want to replicate an A+. That is I could a- see a Spider-Gwen and a Miles Morales movie. I don't know if we'll get a Spider-Verse live action. Yeah, it's an interesting question because essentially they would be adapting their own animated thing into live action a la what Disney is doing. But like in that case, you at least wait a couple decades. Yes. Um, I, but on the other hand, are those... Is it possible to resist the possibilities of how fun that would be? I don't know. Would we all show up if they make these live-action movies? Wouldn't we desperately want to see them all hang out? We would. Three times on Saturday. They would just have to make it different. They'd have to do something different. And Um, I feel like Miles is coming. Uh, I feel like Spider-Gwen should, and I feel like Miles is. I feel like that five-year gap ties into Miles in an interesting way. Uh, Nate simply put, at Dark of Nate, asked, great first podcast, guys, though I missed the visuals. Hi, we're waving. Uh, Do you think Loki's show will literally begin with him stepping out of the Avengers timeline with the Tesseract? On a sadder note, do you think Tony ever found out Coulson is alive? I never thought of that, and it broke my heart. That's why this question, I was like... Oh, God, that's true. I don't think he did. I don't think he ever found out. I don't think he did. 
I do think the Tesseract travels through space and not time. Uh, I've said before, I think that the moment that he leaves does start the show. I didn't specify. I think it starts the show in the same time. I think when he Tesseracted out of the Avengers timeline 2012, he lands somewhere else in 2012 starting off the show. I don't think it moves him through time, but I do think time travel is obviously how the show is going to be formatted. We've heard that. But I do think the Tesseract is going to lead into that. I'm curious because the Tesseract's powers have been uh, differently defined at different times, and they have some freedom to keep playing with that. Um, I, I would say this is a good call, Doug of Nate, insofar as uh, I would I think that that would make a great thing to put up front in the marketing, mm-hmm. whether or not it's the first moment of the show. Uh, I think, like, in an early trailer to see him pop into existence somewhere, like, that yeah. would be – that would serve a, both story and marketing purposes really well and probably be really fun. And we'd all be like, yep, okay, click. And we've been waiting – yeah, we've been waiting to see movies tie into shows for a long time and Disney Plus is doing that. Why not do it directly, you know? Yeah. Uh, Matthew Dempsey at Dimsey Matthew. Uh, Dimsey Matthew is uh, – so we got uh, podcasts – thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, hashtag Collider Heroes Podcast is what I've been waiting for. Not going to lie, but I was nervous. But I love it so much. Keep up being awesome. Y'all got me hook, line, and sinker. Thank you for giving something I didn't know I needed. Aww. This was a comment, but it was very kind. Uh, KB Tibbs at KB Tibbs says, Neat! Collider Video Collider Heroes is changing times and formats. I really appreciate the comics pull list arriving on Tuesday because my local comic shop often runs out of titles pretty early on Wednesday. One, that's awesome. Keep selling out. Great comic shop. Two, you're welcome. Question, will the Tuesday video be a subset of the Thursday podcast or different recordings? So Tuesday is basically our separate entity headline shows, like the biggest news that broke that week. And then we wanted more time to get into comics and into the nuanced stuff, into the sweatier things. So that's why we have an hour and 20 minutes. So 20 minutes Tuesday, and then the hour that happens on Thursday is a deeper dive, effectively. Please keep sending us your comments and your thoughts. Uh, I'm so glad some of y'all are enjoying the deep dive. I've really appreciated those comments. Uh, But, you know, we want to know what you like and what you're enjoying about the show. So thank you very much. Let us know one way or another, but do it politely, because I read those more. (laughs) As long as you're nice, I'll read it. Yeah, and we are... are, uh, So you can check out the main show. You can check out the extended editions here on Giant Size and then you can check out the interviews which are living on their own now which is great so we can point people right to them and give them lots of time. And those are on Collider Interview which is a different channel so it, the links will always bring you right there but if you're having trouble finding them just look up Collider Heroes, Jessica Parker Kennedy, etc. And our sweaty question of the week Derek Richardson at Dirk101 If you were given creative control over a comic for a couple of issues would you only use established characters for a supporting cast or create your own to see if they become popular in their own right? This is about as sweaty as it gets. It's an amazing question. And we've seen it answered differently by different creative teams for the last several decades. I feel like it would depend how much time I thought I was going to get. I feel like you always, like you, to make a really memorable run, you got to add stuff. Um, But there is a point where if you crowd out the pre-existing supporting cast, it doesn't feel like the same comic. So finding that balance, I think it's always got to be a mix. It's always got to be a mix, I think. Uh, And... To do that, I think partly depending on how, like you figure out how long you think you have and then and balance accordingly. Because if you've only got three issues, you you don't have time to have a whole new supporting cast unless you're telling a deliberate story about like killing them all off in episode three. I feel like I would do uh, established characters I know and love because if I'm starting out in comics, I want to know characters I know really well. I don't personally have characters I've invented in the comic medium. I have like screenplays and other things, but comics, I haven't thought of any that suit that medium. So I'd love to play in the Spider-Man sandbox. I my, One of my life goals is to see John Drow in the front of a comic cover. Like I just want that. Oh, so, I took this question as if I were like an established comic book writer. That's what I would do. If I were literally me, I'd be way too scared to add new characters. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm talking about his coy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. in this case, it's going to be Spider-Man or Deadpool. 
It's going to be people I know. I'm going to be diving into that world. Uh, Batman scares me. Uh, so I would be <laughs> you doing... You and Bendis both. They, yeah, absolutely. That's so much fun. I love Bendis. Uh, so Spider-Man or Deadpool, and I would establish a couple new characters in the world, but I would mainly play in the sandbox that's already established. And then as I got more confident, maybe introduce new characters. Mm-hmm. All right, so that was our sweaty question of the week. These questions are all amazing. As always, send us questions at hashtag Collider Heroes. We love hearing from you guys, questions, comments, etc. We hope you're enjoying the giant size podcast on Thursday, regular show on Tuesday, interviews as they come. All of that is going to keep sweaty. And until next week, you too, stay, stay sweaty. Napa know how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa Online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa Know-How. Napa Know-How. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.